Welcome to China in Context. I'm Duncan Bartlett. China has a billion-dollar trade relationship with Israel, and therefore had every reason to be horrified when more than 1,600 Israeli citizens were killed or kidnapped by Hamas on October the 7th. Nevertheless, China has made it clear that it continues to support the Palestinians. President Xi Jinping has stressed the need for an independent Palestinian state. In the wake of the Hamas attacks and the military response by the Israeli Defense Force, which has killed thousands more, some people on social media in China have been whipping up anti-Israeli feeling, sharing posts which are in some cases blatantly anti-Semitic. The stabbing of a family member of an Israeli embassy employee in Beijing has also added to the unease. So, what does that tell us about how China sees its future relationship with Israel and the Palestinians, and indeed its wider role in the Middle East? I'm delighted to welcome back to the podcast the journalist and author Howard Zhang, who was until recently head of the BBC's Chinese service. Howard, thanks once again for joining me. Thanks for inviting me, Duncan. Now, I want to start by considering some of the vile messages which have been disseminated through social media in China. Some posts openly calling for the elimination of Jews, and some state that Hitler must have had his reasons. Who's writing this stuff, and what's their motivation? First of all, I have to say the Chinese social media landscape, like its state media, are highly controlled and censored, and、uh, so those people who are voicing these vile messages, many of them are what they they call the internet influencers. They have huge followings, and、uh, they need each of their episodes to attract certain number of hits and to generate advertising revenues, and、uh, but they also have to. Closely follow state media lead to make sure they do not fall into trouble, and、uh, they are the biggest group of people fanning this flame. And also, you have some of the individual netizens, what they call, and、uh, individuals who are probably misinformed, because the state media is full of one-sided pro-Hamas or what they call pro-Palestinian, but essentially is glorifying Hamas's action, and.、Uh, That type of propaganda. Then people, if all they see is Hamas fighters coming out of tunnel and hitting Israeli tanks, doing smart guerrilla warfare, and Israeli just blindly bombing hospitals and schools in Gaza, and I guess some of the netizens are just angry, and there are some there are group of those people who are calling for all sorts of things, and、uh, also you have. Possibly, what they call the the water army, the quote unquote, essentially paid government、uh, censors online, and、uh, they guide public opinion by posting all sorts of posts. So these are the few groups of people are most likely doing all the、uh, viral messages at this moment. Well, I think that raises two interesting related points, Howard. Firstly, you're pointing out that social media is normally very tightly censored and controlled within China. But what you're also saying is the way in which this Middle East conflict is being reported is through a very Chinese lens. Yes, and、uh, there is a、uh, very strong parallel to the Chinese coverage of the Ukraine-Russia war. And、uh, for a long, 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 long time, people no longer see anything about positive about Ukraine. Only until maybe recently, 
we've seen some humanitarian stories out of uh, the Ukraine side of the uh, the equation. Most of it is about how strong the Russian army are resisting NATO. Uh, you know, encouraged kind of uh, aggression and how Russian army are wiping out Ukraine uh, airplanes and tanks and are totally different picture painted than the, the ones we see here. And uh, the same thing is happening now in China as well. And uh, the reason why I, I keep saying it's so highly con uh, controlled, just uh, recently we had the sudden death of um, the former prime minister of China, Li Keqiang, and the coverage is so controlled even people's condolence uh, messages are frequently erased. And any support message, for example, to the Israeli embassy's Weibo account, anything in support of Israel or condemning Hamas or Iran are quickly erased. And only those messages are against U.S. imperialism, against Israeli aggression are left there. And uh, hence, there is a, uh, you can see a, a hidden hand behind uh, trying to massage the message, what public can see. Well, let's move away from the sphere of social media and let's talk about the position of the Chinese government. Foreign Minister Wang Yi has been in discussion about the war between Israel and Hamas with many people, actually, including President Joe Biden. And China's special envoy to the Middle East, Xi Zheng, flew to the region to meet Arab leaders. What are the Chinese representatives saying? Uh, the official lines are quite simple. One, they have a, a fairly vague condemnation of vi all violence against civilians, but there is no, uh, they refuse to condemn Hamas. And uh, also there's a major emphasis put on by the government official line on pushing for an immediate ceasefire and then calling for the uh, two-state uh, negotiation for a two-state solution and uh, keep stressing that there is a reason for what's happening now. And uh, there is a reason why Palestinians are doing this. So there, that, that's, I guess, the official line you get from the Chinese government. And again, very similar to the stance they took uh, during after the Russian invasion of Ukraine. And it's uh, calling for ceasefire, calling for a uh, you know peaceful talks, but then right away, there's a reason and uh, NATO expansion was to blame. So. These are the parallels you can see very clearly at this moment. Well, there's a history there, isn't there, of Chinese revolutionaries siding with the Palestinian cause. This was the case, actually, in the era of Chairman Mao. Howard, you went to school in Beijing in the 1980s. What were you taught about the Middle East at that time? Absolutely. That, that, that's uh, one of the uh, uh, clearest kind of indications of the shifting landscape of politics in China. During Mao's control, uh, Chairman Mao's era, that started from 1949 all the way to 1976 when he died. And uh, during those times, and all the way until actually the late 70s and early 80s, uh, we were all taught from elementary school to secondary school that uh, the Israeli occupation, quote unquote, in Palestine is a part of the uh, the U.S. imperialism project. And uh, we as the revolutionaries and the communists and uh, we have to resolutely fight uh, alongside the uh, just cause of the Palestinians and uh, not only the government and the meat state media were doing those uh, type of uh, mess sending out those messages they were actually sending arms 
and uh, machine guns and weapons, as well as training Palestinian fighters in China. And uh, so those things lasted all the way until all of a sudden there was a rapprochement because Beijing sensed there was more danger coming from the Soviet Union. So they sought some type of a, a, a better relationship with the U.S. and the West in the early 80s. Then all of a sudden, I remember uh, we were in what they call the political study session one day, and the teacher came in and looked at our essays and uh, said, okay, uh, classmates and uh, students, listen up, and uh, I have to tell you, we can no longer use the terms such as U.S. imperialists or the Israeli running dogs. And uh, you can still continue with Soviet revisionists. That that That's all fine. But we're not friends with the U.S. now. So it would no longer be appropriate for us to write about anti-U.S. Uh, sentiment. So uh, please uh, make the adjustment. So that's only one small, I guess, uh, uh, episode in the bigger shift in the uh, national narrative of propaganda. And then later on, all of a sudden we were told, oh, Jews, actually, they're not that bad. They're very smart people. And uh, they listed even Karl Marx, the, you know, the founder of communism, modern communism was actually a Jew. And then, uh, you know, Lucian Freud, uh, Albert Einstein, one by one by one, they listed a whole, uh, you know, school of Jewish elites in, the, in history. And uh, so they're good people. Then, of course, before you know, they reestablished uh, diplomatic relations with um, Israel and uh, stopped at least the open uh, supply of uh, arms and support for the uh, PLO. But they did keep uh, a political relationship going and continue to pay lip service to the support of a two-state solution and a peaceful resolution of Middle East uh, conflicts. I guess that, that sums up. So coming on to the current situation, then there's obviously an intense debate about whether there should be an official call for a ceasefire between Israel and Hamas. It's something that's been raised at the United Nations. Can you explain to us what the issues are and what China's position is? China now sees itself in a uh, U.S. called rivalry, but what they called a head-to-head -head, uh, competition and rivalry as well. So supporting the Palestinians supporting the wider Arab world, as well as building new alliances with the likes of Iran and Russia, is helping the overall goal if U.S. and China are in this head-to-head -head competition. So if U.S. is supporting Israel, then I'm supporting the other side. That's more, I guess, the easiest way to look at this. And if a immediate ceasefire will gain me more popularity, as well as uh, global recognition from the South, global South, what they called. And uh, this is something Beijing is going for. And uh, if the US and Israel can be isolated this way, it's kudos for, for Beijing. Well, you mentioned the global South. I mean, it's a bit of a debatable term, but there are definitely some big Muslim majority countries in the global South with which China is friendly, Egypt being an obvious example. Some people are saying that China likes to associate itself with the Palestinian cause mainly because it wins favor with countries like that. What's your perspective? China is 
seriously considering some type of a, a conflict in the horizon with the US. And if you look at the way they are slowly dumping US debt, buying up more gold, building up the military, and also more and more people are seeing how China is seriously pushing for through Central Asia all the way to Iran, a survival route, a, a route where they can get energy and food from sources that's not uh, checked by the U.S. maritime superiority uh, over the oceans. And uh, so this is, I guess, over the next uh, decade or so, uh, as long as this U.S.-China tension exists, will always be China's priority to push for allies within the, the Eurasian continent where they can secure their back and hoping in the long run to have a, a face off with US somewhere else. What about this idea of China as the peacekeeper? Do you see a peacekeeping role for China in terms of the Israel-Hamas conflict? China's far away from the Middle East. It's got economic muscles to an extent, but it has no uh, history of directly interfering into or uh, you know participating in the process. It's tried in recent uh, years and uh, tried brought it together Saudi Arabia and Iran, and that was a, a coup of some sort in the diplomatic sphere. But whether China has the influence, enough influence to actually make a Middle East peace between Palestinians and Israel happen, that is a big question mark. And especially with the European Union, the US and UK, all have much more invested for much longer in the region. It's very difficult to see how China can actually, besides paying lip service, playing, uh, uh, paying a proper major role. But of course, they can gain lots of political uh, capital by siding with uh, one side at this moment. Well, thank you, Howard. That's very interesting. That was the author and journalist Howard Zhang. This podcast is produced by the SOAS China Institute in London. And you can find out more about our courses and research on our website, soas.ac.uk. But for now, that's all from us here on the China in Context podcast team. Mm -hmm.